Hello and welcome to the Royals Investment Fund Podcast, where we meet with professors, experts, and professionals in the business and investing world. We are here to bring you insight into these success stories of individuals through their careers, investment choices, and recommendations. This podcast was specifically designed to help business students as they start their journey into the business world. I'm your host, Tony Harris. Now let's get started. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Dean Junkins. Over his career, Dean has built a strong personal brand based on his hard work ethic, humility, and a curiosity for business. He served as a captain in the U.S. Army Reserve, the chief investment officer at Wells Fargo, and is currently an adjunct professor at Bethel University, as well as a director at Cohen and Steers Funds. Dean has had over 37 years of experience in the investment world. To say the least, he has seen a lot. In this podcast, Dean talks about his background, his greatest learning lessons as the CIO at Wells Fargo, and what it means to build a personal brand. I would now like to welcome Dean Junkins. Well, Dean, thank you very much for joining me on the show today. I really appreciate you being here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Tony. So can you tell me a little bit about your life story and your career path as well? Sure. Um, you want me to start when I was a small child? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you want to start. Okay. Well, maybe I won't give you all the detail because uh, some people have accused me of oversharing sometimes. So we'll, uh, how about this? We'll start with um, really what I consider to be like three distinct chapters of my life and career story and maybe a prologue to get started as an introduction. And so if I were just to start with the prologue first, um, really my passion and interest at a pretty early age were around knowing the price of everything and the value of different things. So I grew up on a dairy farm in Western Wisconsin and my parents were extremely good at keeping me involved in all the financial aspects of, of the business. And I would go to the bank when they went to the bank to talk about their loans and, and, uh, and I would get involved in, you know, knowing what the price of fertilizer is and what the price of fuel is and, you know, how much it costs to produce a bushel of corn and how much it costs to produce a hundred pounds of milk and what the price of milk was when any, at any point in time. And I, so I was very interested in that part of the world very early on, not as much interested in milking cows maybe for a career, but I was very interested in the business that they were running, which was truly a business. So um, so I think what, you know, what that did is that set me up to uh, go to college, uh, uh, major in economics, um, with a focus on agriculture, but I didn't have a very broad worldview of knowing where exactly that would lead as far as an actual career. Um, I actually did go to grad school right after that in, uh, agricultural economics, which is basically math, <laughs> um, and basically more of a quantitative approach. And. What that did is that combined with my farm background led me into a job at the federal farm credit system doing research. And I enjoyed that very much. Um, but that kind of was the beginning of my first chapter. That was not what I ultimately was going to do with my career, but that was sort of my starting point. And that's my advice to students is don't worry too much about that first job out of, out of school because that probably isn't going to be <laughs> exactly you know, the career that you end up embarking on, but it can also be a very good opportunity to learn. 
But my first chapter, I'd say, is really starting the career um, and kind of how I approach my job. And so I was sort of fascinated with the idea that people only work 40 hours a week. With uh, growing up on a farm, it's like, wow, we worked like seven days a week. It's like, what's this 40 hours? What do people do with the other, you know, 168 hours a week or whatever is in, in a week? And, and so I got in very early in the morning. I've always been a morning person. And instead of maybe an accounting concept like LIFO, you know, last in, first out, or FIFO, first in, first out, I sort of had a, a, um, a belief, uh, which is not what I'm recommending everybody do, but I had a belief that my approach was philo, which I was first in, last out um, when I first started my, my career. And that kind of set up my reputation or my brand, if you will, early on. And as I realized that, oh, you know, I don't have to come in at five o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning and stay till seven o'clock at night, that's probably not good for the balance in my life. But, um, but it did sort of establish my uh, reputation as being having a strong work ethic. Um, the other thing that I did um, after I realized I didn't need to always be the first one and the last one out is also just having what I would call a curiosity around business. Uh, whatever that business is, whatever that role is that I'm playing in that business, having a curiosity about it, uh, which was a motivator to me to keep learning. And so, you know, once I'm sure people have said, once you get out of college, your learning is really just beginning. <laughs> and, and, um, and if you approach it that way, I think you'll do very well in whatever your career is. And so I would volunteer to take on new, new projects that um, people did not know what the end, end point was going to be, uh, to take on extra work, um, just to keep learning new things. And as a result of that, I got tapped periodically on the shoulder to take new responsibilities, not even positions that I interviewed for or applied for, but just somebody tapped me on the shoulder and say, you know, Dean, I think you should, you should do this job. <laughs> and, and so that was kind of, I, I'd say the first, uh, the first chapter and that led into a real interest in investments. I was actually one of those things I was tapped on the shoulder on in my first job was to manage your short-term investment portfolio. I had no experience doing that. Um, I had no credentials for it, uh, but I was curious and, and I was curious and I had the opportunity because of that and some of the projects that I had done work on around that to have that opportunity. And I found that that was really interesting for me. So then that set me up to figure out what my next role was going to be in the investment world. So again, I had that same approach of just kind of curiosity, wanting to learn, having a strong work ethic, um, a kind of a belief that, that anything was possible instead of focusing all the things that are not possible. And, and that really, uh, again, set me up for a nice career uh, track. In fact, I, I actually, Evan, don't recall actually applying for any of the jobs that I got promoted into. I, uh, I was tapped on the shoulder. In fact, in fact, when I was offered the chief investment officer job, I initially turned it down because I felt like it was going to be difficult to have balance in life. And I was already in a big enough leadership role that that was, that was becoming a challenge and the amount of travel that was required and so on was becoming a challenge. And uh, the person that became my, my boss ultimately in that role was a very good salesperson. So he sold me on 
I will help you find balance in your life. Um, and I want you to have balance in your life because I want you to stay in the position for a long time. And so that was, um, that was really good and a really good, uh, really good boss to have as well. So that's really kind of what I call my first chapter. Well, yeah, so I'd say the second chapter, and this will be more brief, was um, I was diagnosed with cancer and given a pretty tough cancer diagnosis. And that was sort of a catalyst to get me off this track of being really laser focused on my career, which is good for your career, but maybe not good about some other things in your life, like relationships, for example. And it was kind of a wake up call, a disruptor, whatever you want to call it. And um, it was not certain that I was going to make it through alive, the cancer journey, uh, given my diagnosis. And so what I really did is I started praying, which is a good thing to do for any situation you're in. Um, I did a lot of prayer journaling, uh, searching for God's will for what was next for my life, however long that ended up being. And I just felt like I was led to jump off this career track and, and do something different with my life, which is really basically that third chapter where I'm at now, which is really doing a lot of volunteering, giving back, spending time with family. I have two grandsons who I love like crazy. I spend a lot of time with focusing on not only my health, but kind of our broader family's health. Um, and still staying intellectually engaged by doing some mentoring, by uh, serving on a couple of boards that are in the industry, um, and so on. So that's maybe just a nutshell of kind of that first question. That's incredible. And I, I, love, I love those last two chapters, especially that you just added there, because I think that shows that life is more than just work. And it's about serving and helping others as well. That's, right. that's great. So you mentioned uh, you were the chief investment officer at Wells Fargo, and I believe it was for 11 years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what were some of the greatest learning lessons? And, and why do you think you were able to achieve such a prestigious level of success in the corporate world? And kind of going off of that as well, just because you mentioned it, um, what, what role did your faith play into all of this? Yeah, so first of all, um, there was a lot of lessons learned. First of all, I never thought that I would be in a role like that. I didn't have a five-year plan or a 10-year plan or a 20-year plan to get into it. Again, I just I just followed some of the principles that I really believe are important. Is First of all, be valuable um, in whatever I'm doing. Even if I'm doing a very routine job is be valuable, do a really great job on that. Um, secondly, be easy to work with, uh, also kind of synonymous with having a low ego <laughs> is that because a lot of days you don't feel like being easy to work with. Um, a lot of days now during COVID, I'm sure a lot of people are just not feeling like they want to be easy to work with, but you distinguish yourself if you are easy to work with and somebody that, you know, people want to work with. And so that was one of my, one of my, um, philosophies. That thirdly, embrace change quickly. So I know that for a lot of people, that's not a challenge, but some people get sort of stuck in the status quo for a long, long time and resist change. And I was, you know, somehow able to be a quick change person and, and adapt to change quickly 
and not only adapt to it and adopt it, but also become an early adopter leader in helping that change move through. And those kinds of things get noticed in probably any kind of a role you play in life. Um, the other thing is that um, I felt like I was a good communicator and not so much the upfront communicator doing the speeches that always made me nervous. And I actually did a lot of coaching around that to try to get better at it over the years. But I was pretty good, I think, at communicating the same consistent message redundantly. And, you know, there's a saying that if you say, uh, communicate one thing to people five times, you know, then maybe most of the people will say they heard it at least once. <laughs> and, and I actually found that to be quite true. Maybe it's like six or seven times for people to say they've heard it at least once. Um, but I was pretty good, I think, at, re at communicating redundantly, which is not always a given now. A lot of people will say something one time and they'll go like, well, I mentioned that like two months ago. I'm like, well, a lot has happened in the last two months. So I'm sorry, but I forgot about that. And you've got to keep as a leader, you have to keep communicating consistently the same messages over and over. Um, the last thing I'll just say is that I learned to tell stories and this helped my cancer journey actually helped on this. And I didn't immediately jump off the career track. I, I made it through my cancer journey. I went back to work full time. I got back on the road full time. Um, but I just didn't have the fire in the belly to do it. And I felt like I was being led in a different direction. And, but because of that, I started actually speaking more from the heart and less from my brain. And, and it's like, people remember stories. They I became a little bit better storyteller. People remember stories, but they don't remember any data that you give them. Right. And, but they'll remember stories for a long time. So I became a better storyteller which I think is important in, if you're in a leadership role to be able to tell some stories to get your points across. Um, actually, there is one more last thing I'll say is that um, my first lesson learned on the uh, chief investment officer job was actually before I started the job. It was actually right after I was announced in this new role. I had a work colleague who was a good friend of mine that um, asked me in kind of a snarky way, if I had a passport and I was like, where's he going with this question? And he said, Dean, you've been traveling all over the United States and that's great, but you need to expand your world view for our benefit in this new role. And you need to get outside the United States more. You need to do some research trips. You need to understand how investors in different countries think and how they operate and so on. And that I didn't really want to hear that because I didn't, I did not want to be living more on airplanes than I had already been doing, but I heard it. I heard it in the, in the truth and love that it was meant to be. And I think the point of that is, is that whatever you're doing in life, you need to have speak people that feel comfortable speaking truth and love to you because all of us have blind spots that, if somebody doesn't call them out, those can be a career derailer uh, at many points along your career track. And, and so I've been fortunate enough to have people that are not uncomfortable telling me things that I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. That's great. So 
You came into our investments class, uh, Amanda Carter's investments class last fall, and I got to hear you speak in person, which was awesome. Um, but in the class, you mentioned building a personal brand. And for people listening today, what do you mean by this? And what is the importance of building that personal brand? Well, personal brand, you could, you could say it's similar to reputation. It's, it's, I, I use the word brand because it's maybe how you think you're perceived and maybe how others see you is another way to look at it. But I think this was intriguing when I started teaching after I retired from my full-time job and I taught for a few semesters at Bethel. And every semester, about three, four weeks into the semester, I would sort of announce that I know everybody's brand in this classroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, you know, and then there's stunned silence, right? Because you're thinking, well, gosh, well, I wonder what he thinks my brand is, you know? And so I always get four or five, six students uh, approach me after class after when I announced that and say, could you tell me what, what you think my brand, what my brand is? And I'll say, yeah, you're the five minutes late to class every person every every session person or you're the person that always sits in the front and is always engaged kind of a more positive (laughs) uh spin on that uh but i think it's um important to think about because everybody does have a brand or a reputation if you want to call it that and i think it's important to know what your brand is and if you don't to ask some people that will tell you truth and love. Uh, And it might be very, very positive that, you know, you have a terrific brand already, um, or it might be more constructive that, hey, there's some gaps in there that you need to work on. Part of, just as a helpful example, part of my brand, because then I ask people this, uh, and I got a lot of 360 degree feedback, you know, um, throughout my career, which was very, very helpful, by the way, which is how I take it. But um, I had a reputation, a brand, if you will, for getting things done. I also had a reputation for learning how to navigate the organizational structure to, you know, get things done. Um, Also is that if I said I was going to do something, I did it. That was part of part of my brand. Um, I also had the the brand of being approachable not being like scary to come and ask me a question or scary to challenge me on, on something and being kind of, as I mentioned earlier, relatively low ego in a position that can be kind of a high ego position for some people. Um, and then authentic was another thing that people said is that you just feel like you're authentic and you're believable. And, and I, and that did definitely help me through like the financial crisis in 08, 09, being very believable and going, I don't know what exactly is going to happen. But here's what, you know, we can be focused on. And I think that people are like, well, I know exactly what's going to happen. It's like, that's not very believable if you're experienced in the investment world, because it's hard to know what's going to happen day to day, month to month, week to week. Um, even with having a lot of information at your fingertips. And so um, those are just some things that I would share. Wonderful. And, you know, I've, I've heard quite a bit about your personal brand in the best way possible from both Amanda Carter and Lucas Bunting. Um, and, and they keep mentioning 
a wisdom tooth story. And I'm kind of curious, what, what is that story about your wisdom tooth that they keep mentioning? <laughs> Tony, this actually, like the very question illustrates why storytelling is important because I don't think anybody remembered anything other than the wisdom teeth story. And this is really about work ethic to illustrate work ethic. So I had just started a new job and I had um, found out that I had wisdom teeth that were impacted and needed to be taken out. So I went to a dentist in the Skyway who convinced me to not get put under, uh, but to just to get isolated Novocaine and let him work, you know, work, work his magic and get the, get, get, get the, uh, four wisdom teeth out. Uh, anyway, make a long story short. I, um, I got him out. I wouldn't, by the way, I wouldn't advise doing it that way. <laughs> if I had to do over again, I would just get put under and be done with it. But, but, um, uh, I went right back from the dentist office to, um, my office, which was just like a block away in the skyway. And I got on the elevator and there was two people in my new group that were on the elevator. And they said, Dean, there's like blood on the corners of your, of your mouth. And I said, Oh, I said, I, I had my wisdom teeth taken out and they go like yesterday. I said, no, five minutes ago. <laughs> and I was heading back in the office and it, apparently this got spread around the office that I was so dedicated or such a crazy work ethic that, you know, I got my wisdom teeth taken out and five minutes later, I'm back, back in the office. So anyway, that was, that was the wow. point of the story. And again, not that I would recommend anybody do that, but it was sort of like my brand was very, very well established early on in that company as somebody that was highly dedicated and had a strong work ethic as a result of that. That would definitely cement a brand. That <laughs> is, that's great. So as far as uh, as far as investing goes, obviously you've had plenty of experience. What advice would you give students, you know, from freshman to senior year, who are looking to build an investment portfolio? Is there a type of approach you would recommend for them? Well, first of all, there's it's a lot easier to do that now than it was even ten years ago, uh, because basically transactions costs are essentially close to zero. And, um, and there's a lot more ways to access the market uh, that's easy. But I would say I'd have three basic principles um, to build an investment portfolio. First of all, keep it simple. So don't overcomplicate it early on. And that, and that might be interesting to do, but, but try to stay away from that. Don't get too many different investment vehicles investment products in the portfolio don't try to over diversify by by having too many names in the portfolio obviously you want to be diversified enough but you can do that by basically buying a broad index of a market segment if you will through one investment product as you as you well know um so i would keep it simple whatever simple means to you um and then secondly, I would always add and not subtract from the portfolio. Uh, once you start, what I mean by that is once you start taking money out of your portfolio, it becomes harder to put money back in. So if you're going to start a portfolio, decide that this is going to be for the very long term. And I am not going to take money out of it if I want to buy extravagant Christmas presents for people or 
you know, buy a new vehicle or a better vehicle or what have you. But always, if you have the approach, I'm always going to add to it and not subtract because this is not your emergency savings fund or anything like that. Um, I think you'll be well served. Third, I would say is be very disciplined. Uh, you don't need to trade uh, on what people are telling you about the market today or next week or the following month. Um, you want to take a long-term approach. You want to be disciplined. If everybody says, oh my goodness, the economy is horrible and the market is horrible, is going to be horrible. And COVID has been a great example of that. The market has not been horrible other than the first month or so of, of COVID. Um, but, and, and most people, myself included, would not have expected it to be that, that way, but that's, that's the way it, that's the way it has. And so stay disciplined long-term, don't let your emotions, um, drive your behavior, um, and kind of stick with your plan. I think that's a great way of stating it. And I think that, uh, a lot of students will appreciate that advice quite a few <laughs> years down the road for sure. So right. thank you for that. Um, my last question for you is if you could go back to your college years at River Falls, what advice would you give yourself? Yeah, it, actually, um, one thing I would do differently is that I would learn a, a language. Some people say I barely know English and that's my first language. Um, but take the time to learn a language and do a semester abroad in that language, in that culture. Um, and this is some of the things that I've learned later, later in my career when, you know, I started traveling more, more extensively around the world and learning about different cultures and, and so on, is that I felt like that, I feel like that would have benefited me more kind of from my broader global view early on in my career. You know, speaking from my perspective of being able to to study abroad, I, I completely agree with you. That's one of the, it's one of by far the best memories I've had in college. And mm -hmm. I would totally second that. Cool. So, well, Dean, thank you so much for all of that insight. I, I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners will too. I think that you've shared so much valuable information and um, I, I really value your time. So thank you for taking that time out of your day to be here with us. You're welcome. Thanks, Tony. Now you were able to get a little bit of insight into Dean Junkin's career path. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Royals Investment Fund, visit our website at BethelRoyalsFund.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm your host, Tony Harris, and we'll see you next time.